Everybody needs money. That's why they call it money. The best things in life are free. But you can give them to the birds and bees. I need From Fool Global Headquarters, this is Motley Fool Money. Welcome to Motley Fool Money. Thanks for being here. I'm your host, Chris Hill. Joining me in studio this week from Motley Fool Pro and Options, Jim Gillies. From Motley Fool Supernova, Matt Argusinger. And from Million Dollar Portfolio, Ron Gross. Good to see you, gentlemen, as hey, always. Hey, hey. Good day, Chris. We've got restaurant stocks, tech stocks, and a couple of bellwether stocks to boot. Our CEO sits down with the CEO of Panera Bread for a conversation you don't want to miss. And as always, we'll share a few stock ideas to put on your watch list. But we begin this week... With earnings palooza, shares of Microsoft up 6%. Let me say that Bang. again, Ron. Shares of Microsoft up 6% Friday morning after first quarter profits came in north of $5 billion. Steve Ballmer, we don't know exactly when he's going out, but it seems like he might be going out with a bang. Yeah, me likes what me sees. <laughs> I was just going to say, how'd they do it? Well, um, the transition continues. They're, they're obviously um, moving their business to more of um, a device and services business, uh, getting away from the declining PC as much as they possibly can. Um, that business continues to be weak, but everything else um, is going along very nicely, even better than expected. The Surface business is doing pretty well. The cloud computing business is doing very well. The enterprise software business is doing well. That's, those things are being able to offset the decline in the PC business and therefore the results look pretty good. For basically the last decade, this is a stock that really hasn't moved all that much. That How ups- dare you? <laughs> I call them as I see them. But 2013, really been a good year for the shares of Microsoft. Is this Should investors get too so, used to this, so or is this just a nice I'm aberration? I'm out of both sides of my mouth here. So we like the stock. We think it's undervalued. We own it in million-dollar portfolio, but we do have it on hold because there's execution risk in the transition and the restructuring, and there's no CEO at the helm to lead that. So we need to see a little bit more before we recommend people buy. Amazon posted a loss for the third quarter in a row, but revenue was up 24%, much higher than people were expecting. Maddie shares hitting a new all-time high on Friday. This seems like one of those situations where bears, Amazon bears, are just throwing up their hands, saying, "Again, they're, you know, no. they're they're losing money and the shares there go are up bears again." In the Amazon? I was going to say, I mean, didn't they throw the white flag up like a hundred dollars ago? I, no, this was it, it's a, it's a really great court. You know, as you said, revenue seventeen point one billion, handily beating expectations. You know, they grew Prime members by several million. They're still very coy about how many members they actually have in Prime, but you can bet it's tens of millions. Uh, it's great service. Um, you know, there's a lot. There was a lot going into Amazon's report. We had eBay a while ago, and we had uh, some other companies kind of give a, a tepid outlook for the holiday season. There were some reports out there that this might be the worst holiday season since 2009, which would be pretty dire. But Amazon was totally upbeat, pretty much everything. They said, you know, we're, we're really excited about the holiday season. We've we've built out. Our distribution platform, to an extent now, where we can, you know, we can essentially give one-day delivery to almost every spot in the country, which is which is really helpful for the holidays. And their guidance, uh, you know, looked at, for the for the holiday season looked a little conservative. I almost think they're they're setting themselves up for a nice beat when they actually report uh, numbers in January. So, yeah, swimmingly good for Amazon. Historically, the fourth quarter is the best quarter for Amazon. This three quarters in a row of reporting a loss. Are they under pressure to the point where that has to end? They have to deliver a profit in Q4? No, not at all. Not at all. I, I just think, I just think as, as time goes on, I mean, eventually, yes, they're going to have to report 
profits. But as, as, right now, I just think they're in that zone where they where they don't. They I don't think the them. worst thing they could do would be to succumb to that pressure. Um, Jeff Bezos needs to just run his business the way he knows how to do it. Build for the future. Uh, let Wall Street do whatever Wall Street's going to do. Um, and, and the stock will eventually take care of itself, as will the profits. Spoken like a true value investor right there. <laughs> right on, Ron Applying Gross. value pro- pro- <laughs> principles to Amazon. To runaway Amazon. <laughs> Every once in a while on this show, we take a little victory lap. I want to take one now, not on our behalf, but on behalf of our co-founder, David Gardner, because we had an event this week. It was back in 1997 when David Gardner publicly recommended shares of Amazon, which at the time... It was billing itself as Earth's biggest bookstore. Shares up a hundred times since David first recommended. He bought it back in 1997. 120 times after this morning's jump. Oh my goodness! Just just an amazing run. So kudos uh, to our man David Gardner. Shares of Netflix briefly, I say briefly, hit a new all-time high this week in the wake of third-quarter earnings. Uh, One of the big headlines here, Jim. Netflix now has more than 31 million subscribers in the U.S. That makes it bigger than HBO. It, what did you make of the quarter? Uh, it's bigger than HBO domestically, uh, internationally. It's still lagging a little bit. Uh, it was a pretty strong quarter for them. They were, I think, their viewing hours are up twenty five percent versus just two quarters ago. Everyone probably binge watching Breaking Bad ahead of the finale. <laughs> um, they're <You're> here, yeah, <laughs> including people in this room. Um, you know, international is going well. Uh, they're they're doubling down on the original content thing. So, for example, their first season of uh, House of Cards, they kind of had first run, but they don't control post uh, that first run. So you can go buy it in Redbox now. Uh, they're going to be kind of controlling uh, their original content going forward a little more closely. Um, you know, it was a, a fantastic quarter, and uh, and and for me, the capper for the quarter was that uh, the CEO came out and talked down his own stock, which is, you never you never hear. I'm like, that is so great. I was going to say, it's pretty amazing. Conference calls with analysts are generally pretty boring. Reed Hastings over at Netflix, he was out in front waving yeah. the caution flag on the stock. And when I say it briefly hit an all-time high, you look at a, star, uh, a chart for the week. Um, it it has dropped over the last few days as a result of that, and I'm wondering if well, didn't Icon sell half his stake? Yeah, right? I was going to say, yeah. and, and there was Carl a, there was a sell rec that came out later the day uh, the the day post earnings. Uh, Carl Icon dropped half his stake. Now his son says, "Daddy, you're wrong." And so you know they're <laughs> but, hoping to come back. But, but I I look at that, and I'm not a shareholder, but I look at that and I think, well, given the run of the stock, which has just been incredible over the last year and five, a half or five so, five times in last year, it's just amazing. So uh, nothing wrong with a little. Problem. Taking run, nothing wrong at all. I actually don't like when CEOs comment about on the stock either way. Um, the only time I want to hear them talk about the stock is if they think it's, it's a good time to do a buyback. Um, but for just run the business, let the stock market handle the stock. Uh, Caterpillar and Boeing are two of the better known and bigger bellwether stocks, and they sent conflicting signals this week. Caterpillar's third quarter profits down forty four percent. Boeing's third quarter profit up 12%, and they raised guidance. Maddie, which one should I be listening to here? <laughs> I actually don't know. I mean, I you know, I was I remember the day it happened. I mean, it both came out the same day, and I was reading Caterpillar in the morning. I said, "Gosh, this is dour." You know, their mining business is down forty percent. Their power business is down seven percent. Uh, it, it it just looked dire. But then you have Boeing, which you know, again, yeah, revenue up eleven percent. They delivered 170 planes in the quarter. They have 415 billion in backlog, and they also delivered 23 Dreamliners, by the way, which you know uh, was a record for that as well. So, I tend to buy the Boeing story a little more, only because, uh, well, I'm an optimistic guy first, <laughs> but second, you know, 
airlines, there's really across the board, developing markets, industrial nations are buying air, airplanes. I mean, at a, at a pretty frenetic, at a record pace, and I just feel like that is a better denominator on the on the economy as a whole. Caterpillar is very linked to the commodity cycle in a lot of places, and especially in places like China and Australia, where they have a lot of exposure, and it's just been tough there. It, it, I mean, we, when you talk about CEOs making comments, we had the CEO of Caterpillar on, on CNBC this week talking, using words like tough and painful and just uh, kind of the, op, uh, the opposite of your optimism. Yeah, well, what I think with Caterpillar, I think Maddie nailed it. Um, it's so mining focused, and, and this report was so mining focused, and that's because coming out of the recession, things were gangbusters in that business. There was a lot of activity going on, and now it's kind of leveling out um, and is maybe even more normal now. Um, and so the comps look pretty bad. So it perhaps isn't necessarily as dire as it looks, it's just in comparison to what it looked like last year. Coming up, Twitter has priced its IPO. Should you be looking to get in? Stay right here. This is Motley Fool Money. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So, don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. Welcome back to Motley Fool Money. Chris Hill here in studio with Jim Gillies, Matt Argusinger, and Ron Gross. Guys, two restaurant companies reporting third quarter results this week. McDonald's quarterly profit up 4.5%. Panera Bread profit up 17%. Mm. Just on the surface, Ron, you'd think Panera had the better quarter, but you look at the stock, it actually got hit a little bit. <laughs> they cut guidance for the fourth quarter. What do you make of these um, two? Panera is struggling, but in a good way. Um, and in, and what I mean by that is they're having trouble keeping up with the demand. Um, so they need to hire more. They need to get their kitchen in order. They need to improve their technology. And if they do that and the demand stays with them, uh, the numbers will probably look look great. Uh, anecdotally, I, I see what people are saying. The last two times we went in, our orders were wrong, and that's been a lot of the complaints, and, and people are turning around when they see the long lines. That is very bad for a restaurant, obviously, but I think um, just with a few tweaks, they'll be able to get it in order, and that will show up in the results. McDonald's is kind of a different story. They they continue to have uh, weak same store sales. They're seeing a lot of competition. They're blaming the global economy. Um, they say they're actually seeing a bifurcation of people who can afford McDonald's versus people who who are, are opting to not go into a McDonald's, um, which is interesting. Um, so th- they continue to struggle among a lot of different alternatives out there. Good results in the U.S. though. Um, so when you look at McDonald's, I, d- I don't know if there's a way to necessarily play that, but certainly here in the U.S. and you look at their North American results, they they, they seem to be leading the way. They are better, and that's why they they do keep blaming the the global economy, and that kind of fatigues investors after a while. Um, and they're going to revamp some menu items, uh, to play with the dollar value menu, and some things like that. You know, McDonald's continues to be. Let's, it's McDonald's. Yeah. I mean, you know, they they'll be fine. They pay a nice dividend. They continue to generate tons of cash flow. But you know, things are a bit, a bit weak. And let's not forget what's coming down the pike in December for McDonald's. McRib. The McRib. Oh. So, so I'm just just get buy on the McRib. <laughs> buy on the rumors. Sell on the news. On Tuesday, the biggest loser in the S and P 500 was Coach. Shares got hit after first quarter results. Uh, Jim, same store. Sales in North America, it was the biggest drop they had in almost five years. How worried should shareholders be about this? 
I'm I'm of two minds. You might say I'm bifurcated. I'm going with Ron's <laughs> word here. There's a lot going on at Coach, and, and you're right. You know, same store sales were down close to seven percent domestically, internationally, especially China. Things were great. It's much smaller part of the business. Uh, margins were down across the board, but you know the company is not terribly expensive. They make a lot of cash. They've you know, continue buying back shares. They have a nice dividend, which they rise every year. It's a story that's I think is going to take a few more quarters to transition. And 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 the big story, in my opinion, is uh, the leadership of the company is in a great state of flux right now. Uh, their chief creative off, creative officer Reed Krakoff has left to follow his own eponymous brand. Um, the longtime CEO is retiring next year. They got a new CEO heir apparent. They got a new creative officer. Uh, you know, and and those things are going to take time to kind of. You know, get their vision and their stamp on the company. Is this still a luxury brand? Because it feels like over the last decade or so, Coach has gone a little bit more mainstream. It's still a quality brand, but I, I don't know that I think of it in the same way as other luxury brands like maybe a Burberry or, or certainly a Tiffany at you the can, highest end. You can certainly make the argument they have gone for some lower hanging fruit in terms of uh, mass populace, shall we say? And they have, uh, you know, they have outlet stores, and you know, luxury brands with outlet stores. There's a, <laughs> that, I'm not sure that's a great dichotomy to have. Uh, but again, I mean, I, I do have a position personally. We do have a position on it in uh, Motley Fool Options. Uh, we like it long term, uh, but I think there's some growing pains for probably the next couple, if not four quarters. You can follow the show on Twitter at Motley Fool Money is our handle. Uh, we got a question on Twitter from one of our listeners, Mike Sarah, who writes, "Is Twitter a buy? I need guidance." Uh, worth pointing out, Twitter just updated its IPO filing. They are pricing the stock in the range of seventeen to twenty dollars a share. Maddie, some people over the last month or so, some analysts on Wall Street saying this is a twenty billion dollar company. But you look at how Twitter is pricing their IPO. They're pricing it to be more of a $10, $11 billion company. Do they risk leaving money on the table? I they I think they're leaving a little money on the table. I don't know how much, but a, a little, maybe a significant amount. I There's something, too. I think Twitter's mo- the modest expectations here with Twitter, or what Twitter's creating, It's there's something to this idea of having a really good debut in the market. Um, and I think that's what Twitter's going for. They're, they're really trying to be the anti-Facebook, what happened to Facebook last year. Whether it's a buy, you know, I, I look at Twitter at, at this eleven billion dollar valuation at, on the high end. What they're they're coming out as, who knows what will end up in the first day. But you know, it it just had it reported that it had one hundred and sixty nine million in revenue in the latest quarter. That was up more than a hundred percent year over year. Two hundred thirty million active users. And if you look at the sales, so if you look at the seven hundred million dollar annual run rate in revenue, which is growing really fast, it trades at about sixteen times sales relative to that eleven billion dollar. Um, valuation. Now, Facebook's at 21 times sales right now, um, and growing fast, but not growing as fast right. as Twitter. You know, you could make the argument that if you can buy within this 17 to 20 dollar range, you're, you you might be getting a deal. Um, and who knows? But who knows what it'll, it'll close into that range of the first day? And I'm sure it's going to get a big pop. And I think that's what they're going for. But it's not an outrageous valuation. Ron? Yeah, it's interesting. They're trying to be so the anti-Facebook in terms of the IPO. But what did Facebook do? They raised an optimal <laughs> amount of money. Yeah. They struggled yep. through six to twelve months of kind of stock market growing pains, 
and everything's fine right now. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, me personally, I would want to raise as much money as I possibly can. Um, you know, there's typically a 15% underwriter discount just so the market, the, the stock is okay in the first day. Um, but don't leave billions of dollars on the table. Billions is a lot of money. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of zeros in there. Um, I should point out that uh, part of their updated filing included information about their roadshow. Dick Costello, the CEO, and his executives are going to be traveling around the company, uh, around the country, uh, meeting with uh, some of the big Wall Street banks, etc. They're going to be in D.C. next week. And uh, as as I wrote on Twitter, come on by Full HQ. Come on by, That'd Dick. Yeah, let's let's have him in there. We'll we'll see let's if they it. respond. Let's but it. it would be nice to have them stop by. Uh, we got a few minutes left. Uh, time for the stocks that are on our radar this week. Ron Gross, I will start with you. What do you got? I feel compelled, Chris. Compelled to go back to Crocs, C R O X, a company that has. Um, it's been struggling. Q2 is weak. They came in uh, and lowered Q3 guidance, which we're going to get uh, the results of next week. I think it's unloved. It's somewhat misunderstood um, for value investors. That becomes very interesting. Um, we think it's going to uh, do really well next year, year after, um, and and the price is not proper. The, the the results that they will put up are not properly reflected in the stock. But is your interest in this stock based solely on the valuation of the stock? Because when I look at this company, I'm still wondering, uh, what's the next act? Do they have a second act beyond the shoes? I yeah. Well, I think the answer is yes. I think it's a mispriced stock. So is is it the kind of stock I will own for the next 20 years? Probably not. But we'll see what they do. Um, they've certainly diversified away from that ubiquitous clog, which is now less than 50 percent of their business, and most people don't understand that and don't realize that. Um, but they had to do some discounting last quarter. We want to see that firm up a bit, and we want to see their inventory get a little bit cleaner. And then, if that mispricing gap can close, I think we'll take our profits. Maddie, what do you got? All right, from unloved and misunderstood to beloved, Boston Beer Company ticker SAM. They report uh, this coming week. Um, hey, Red Sox are in the World Series. Yes, Boston Beer is just my favorite beer. My favorite beer. I've owned the stock for more than ten years. I'm I'm truly happy. It's it's at an all time high. And but you know, it's one of those companies that I feel. Um, is just going to continue to gain a little bit of market share. Craft beer is has been incredibly strong. They're the leader in that market. Um, really love the company. Love Jim Cook. Love love the culture that they have there. So just just a great company. And see what they do with their earnings next this coming week. All right, Jim Gillies, we got less than a minute. What do you got this week? Uh, mine is uh, a company that buys charged off debt. It's called Portfolio Recovery. Wow, so this sounds sexy. It's Yeah, it's the most boring company you can ever find. PRAA, it has been a stealth 10-bagger over the past decade, uh, oh, oh. run wow. by excellent management, and they do a lot of data you know, data modeling to determine which people will be paying them when they buy off these charged off portfolios. Uh, you know, we've, we've been going through a period where the world's been getting you know, a lot of charged off debt, and the prices might be going up. They've knocked the, the cover off the ball the past five or six earnings reports. I'm curious to see if they can do it again. All right. Jim Gillies, Ron Gross, Matt Argusinger. Guys, thanks for being thanks, here. Chris. Thank you. Coming up, a conversation with the CEO of Panera Bread. Stay right here. This is Motley Fool Money. Welcome back to Motley Fool Money. I'm Chris Hill. With over 1,700 locations across North America, Panera Bread is one of the fastest-growing restaurants of the past decade. Over the past five years, Panera's stock is up more than 200%. Motley Fool co-founder and CEO Tom Gardner recently had an opportunity to talk with Panera founder and CEO Ron Shake at the Conscious Capitalism Conference in Austin, Texas. Here is some of their conversation. 
We're here in Austin, Texas with um, the founder and CEO of Panera Bread, Motley Fool Investment, um, in Stock Advisor and Supernova. And we're here with the with Ron Shake. And Ron, thanks so much for spending some time Thank with you, us. Tom. Always one of our good friends. What's the difference in the vision at Panera today than in the 1990s? When you look at, um, oh, I mean, it was, I, there, you're, I know you're quoted in one place going, no one would buy my stock in the 90s. I couldn't get anyone to Five years, no Yeah, I mean, I, mean I, had I know there were spinoffs, right? But I mean, the performance of Panera stock from the mid-90s to 99, that was a not, good, not a good period for you. Well, we went public in 91, and I guess... If you take it 91 to 99 when I spun off all the other businesses, the stock essentially during that period of time had gone up, gone down, but was ultimately flat for those nine years. Mm -hmm. And I think it's up, I don't know what it is, um, 40-fold from 99 to 2000. Unbelievable. One of the the greatest stock performances over a 15-year period in American history. Yeah, so it's it's had quite the run. Yeah. But but I I would say to you... Were you laying the foundation and people just didn't know in the 90s, or there was a really big shift that that you earned a wake-up call for investors? Well, I I would say it to you this way. Um, I would say to you, ultimately in 99, we made a bet. And we made a, a bet on a vision for how this corporate entity um, was going to compete. And in 1998, we had four divisions. We had the Old Bon Pen stores, Old Bon Pen International, a manufacturing division, and we also owned Panera Bread. Mm. At that time, Panera Bread was 180 stores. Mm. It was clear to me, as somebody who had been around a while, that, 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 that Panera had the potential to be a nationally dominant brand. For every hundred guys that tell you that something could be nationally dominant, mm-hmm. one yeah. ever makes it. Mm-hmm. And I know it. I could mm-hmm. see it. I could feel it. Mm-hmm. It had stable numbers. They were consistent. And, 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 I, and I was trying to, I was struggling with how do you unlock that? And, you know, in a multi-branded company with, with professional managers running these four divisions. And, 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 and around 1998, somebody said to me, you know, Ron, what would you do if Panera owned the other three divisions um, as opposed to Obon Penn owning uh, the namesake of the company, owning the divisions. How would you think about it? And that paradigm change allowed me to say, well, if I really, you know, if I really look at it, this is the gem. This is really where there's an extraordinary value. We have to protect it. And if we're going to protect it, what we've got to do is we've got to make sure it has all the financial resources it needs, all the human capital. Hmm. And what that ultimately led me to conclude is if we were going to fuel this thing the way it needed to be fueled, it needed... Um, it needed us personally to go down there and run it. It mm. needed all the financial capital. Mm. Let us to decide to sell every other division but the mm. Panera Total division. Total focus. Total focus. We sold everything else. Mm. Um, ended up with 180. And th- at that time, it was a really tough decision. Mm. This was the third largest division. It was, you know, the board members had signed up to be in the old ball pen business. Mm-hmm. Um, it meant selling people that I'd grown up with, you know, because mm-hmm. they were non-competes. Mm-hmm. They went with it. Mm-hmm. Um, they all came back eventually. Mm-hmm. But, but, but it was very emotionally difficult. Mm-hmm. In the end, um, we ended up with 180 stores and a couple. And, and how quickly a bunch did of you know that was the right decision? I mean, how, I mean, may, you may have said you knew it in the moment that it was happening, but how how long after was well, it like? Wow. Okay, this was. I feel the energy. I, I think my most of business, most of life, actually is you know the right thing to do, you have a sense of it, but until it's actually played out, mm-hmm. um, you don't have the wherewithal, the credibility to claim that. Mm-hmm. And so anytime I've made a leap of faith or I've, 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 I've tried to create into a future that's, that's just playing out, 
I've known it's right. I intellectually know it, mm-hmm. but that but you, you you've got to go through it, and you've mm-hmm. got to and there's a certain tension that exists until it manifests itself. Mm-hmm. And so there was a huge leap of faith, and 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 you know, ninety nine we ended up with with that Panera division, and we took it from there. Mm-hmm. Um, capital allocation question: yes. Why franchise at all? Um, I look at. I, I, I love following the restaurant business. I see what's happening to two-income households and what's happening around sure. the world. And it's a, it's a great long-term growth business. And, and what I'll say is a lot of people think restaurants, they all fail. I'm not going to buy them. And that opens an opportunity for those of us who are willing to really dig deep into the great restaurant businesses that are out there. But I'm always interested in what the dynamic on that decision is. It's about 50-50 at Panera, is Yes, right? it is. Yeah. And, so, and I know you've bought some franchises back. Tom, let but, me ask you a question. Yeah. yeah um, Good. I know, like this. All right. Tom, let me ask you a <laughs> I'm question. Going, keep your Expectations low, Ron. All right, Tom. <laughs> Let me ask you a question. Yeah. Um, do you advocate for 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 your um, investors' asset allocation? Yes, you do. Why? Yeah. Why do you why do you uh, why do you argue for balancing equity with debt? Okay. Um, well, I, I believe that uh, diversification will get you through um, different times in different ways. So mm. um, that helps you. Now, what I'll say is there are investors who would sit there and say, um, "No, I pretty much put all my eggs in one basket, and I watch that basket really closely." Um, what you're, I th- believe, well, what you're I, saying. I is, think. Mo- well, I haven't yeah. said it yet, but, I, but I'm asking you. I yeah. think most most modern investors would argue for some yeah. form of asset allocation. Yeah. And we believe that that uh, company stores are phenomenal mm-hmm. when you're in a very hot market. They're mm-hmm. phenomenal when comp stores are, sales are great. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, we think having franchise stores um, are. Um, are also superb when the market is is slower growth mm-hmm. and, and and there's more challenges. So we believe in asset allocation. Mm-hmm. Think of our company stores as as, as investing in equity, mm-hmm. and think of our company stores as in, or think of our franchise stores as investing in debt. Yeah. We like a, a healthy mix of it. Yeah. And I think that we're trying to deliver for investors um, results over the medium and long term with some stability. And I yeah. think we're far better to do that. Mm-hmm. When we operate with a mixed system, mm-hmm. than if we were to operate um, solely with uh, company-owned stores mm-hmm. or solely with franchise stores. Mm-hmm. Interesting. I think most companies actually end up getting there. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, you know, to be in a, a, comp- a, a complete company store system, if there's a burp, the investor is going to have a real stomach ache. Gotcha. Okay, so. Um, 1,800 stores or so. Yes. Locations, restaurants. Just shy of that. Yes. Um, have you published a number of how many you think are are how many locations do you think you have in the U.S.? You know, Tom, for as long, uh, for as far back as I go talking to investors, I've never published a number. Yep, and, I think and, that's and, great. Right, and I don't because I, I don't really know what the answer is. Yep. At one time, if you'd asked me, I would have thought 500 stores. Yep. I would have thought it was 1,000 or 1,500 or 2,000. The reality is it doesn't matter what that number is. Who knows? I don't mm-hmm. have to know until I get there. Mm-hmm. What I need to know is I have enough growth to feed the monster mm-hmm. in a reasonable way over the next three years. Mm-hmm. So we sit down every three months, we look forward three years, and we make sure we have enough um, development territory ahead of us. Mm-hmm. And we continue to learn. That's what business is about, continuing to learn. We continue to learn, and we continue to adjust, quite frankly, what our, 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 our potential is. And do you continue to think, I know you, I know you think market by market, we're not going to be going international. Oh, you know my global. strategy. You know exactly. Listen, I, I've heard my line. I, I, I'll I, give it to you. There I, is no such thing as an international strategy. Yeah. All there are are markets. Yeah. So Canada is, in a way, you're expressing that's your next, that's your next market. We're that's, there. Yep. Yeah. We're moving out. Yeah. And how, and how is that? When, when was the first Canada um, bread opened? Sometime in the last couple of years, we opened the first one in Canada. And we're, we're quite pleased with the reaction we get. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I mean, I think that it's going through a curve very similar to what we saw when we moved to California, mm-hmm. which is the, the you know, you, you, you have to build up a critical awareness. Um, more importantly than that, you have to touch people. And you have to build a relationship in which you're both building frequency and you're being able to bring in new customers. Mm-hmm. And we're going through that curve in Canada. I want to hear a little bit for our members that don't know about Panera Cares and yes. about the journey that you just took with food stamps. A little bit about those two. Yeah, well, you know, Panera's, um, let, let me start. I'll root them all together. Um, Panera, part of Panera's success has been because we have built community centers. Panera's are community centers across America. Hmm. I mean, something in the order of a third of our business is rooted in people come in for a place just to sit and talk, catch their breath, um, be with others. Um, if you look at our business, you'll see, you know, Bible study classes, you'll see uh, mother's knitting classes, you'll see book clubs. You know, this is a place to talk and connect. And, and, and we've, because we bake fresh every day in every cafe, and because we're invested in that community, we got very invested in issues of, of, of supporting the, the food banks and the like. Every night we would deliver any excess bread we had from that day, because we bake fresh every day, mm. to these food shelters. Got us involved in, in hunger issues. And as you get more and more involved in it, you begin to learn about it. You find out that one in four American, one in four children in this country, one in six Americans at some point in the last year didn't know where a meal was coming from. Mm. We're not talking about a few people. We're talking about 48 million Americans mm. in this mm. country. Mm. And as we began to learn it, we began to figure, try to think about it. Well, how do we help make a difference in it? And over the last four or five years, um, we've gotten up to a level where we're giving somewhere in the range of 100 to $150 million a year in product uh, or cash to these organizations. Major, major supporter. And, and, but but, but I, I felt that in some ways um, um, that it wasn't fully what we wanted to do. I wanted to find opportunities in which we could do more than just pack our, our bread that had not been sold that day in black plastic bags and let it go out the back door. I wanted to find something more than just writing a check. And what I wanted to try to do was figure out how we put our own arms and legs, our own backs against the problem. Because it wasn't simply... Um, about the gift, it was only our own relationship with it. And it led me to something called the community care movement, community cafe movement. Mm. And I, I don't know, four years ago, uh, the height of the recession, I was at home one night watching NBC Nightly News. They talked about a cafe in Denver that had, had been formed. It had no set prices. If you had a few extra bucks in your pocket, you left more. If you had a little less, you left less. And if you had nothing, you left nothing. Hmm. And the, the idea was the community would support this and support each other. Mm-hmm. And it was about paying it forward and taking advantage of it when you had the need. And I thought it was a fascinating idea. I heard the story of this cafe, heard they'd spent 10 years getting it going. Hmm. And, and I looked at my wife that evening. I said, heck, you know, we open, a, a, a ca- we open two cafes a week hmm. somewhere in this country. We, 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 we've got 80,000 associates We've got equipment that you couldn't imagine, you know. Um, we know how to do this. This is the kind of thing we should do. And she looked at me and said, well, if it's the kind of thing you should do, then you better do it. <laughs> and I thought to myself, wow, she's serious. I better do it. And I began to think about doing it. It became an interesting thing for me. Could you do it? Could we actually create a cafe where there are no prices? Um, um, and what was the nature of humanity? My original vision was we'd start out with just baked goods and coffee. But I started to go and visit these food shelters, and I began to work in them. Mm. And one of the things that really struck me, because I'm always looking for what the pattern is, mm. is, is just the amount of pain people are, that are in these, these, these um, 
uh, basically soup kitchens are. Mm-hmm. Everyone around you is in pain. Everybody's mm-hmm. walking around with their head down, mm-hmm. facing their shoes. And I began to, to think to myself, well, heck, if we really want to do something here, what we're about is not just feeding people, not just filling their belly, but, but giving them an experience that had dignity to it that uplifted them. Mm-hmm. And I said, if you're going to do that, you want to have an experience that people are willing to pay for. Right? You don't want to go to the lowest common denominator. You want to go to the highest one. Mm-hmm. That led me to say, well, you know, if we're going to do that, we've got to do more than baked goods and coffee. We've got to do real food. Mm-hmm. If we're going to do real food, we know a place that does that. It's called Panera. It's got the antibiotic-free chicken. It's got the salads, the organic elements. We said, let's, let's do the full Panera menu. Mm-hmm. And if we said, if we're really going to do that, let's put the Panera name on it. And let's see if we can find a community cafe where we had no set prices, that people were actually willing to pay for and donate, pay it forward. At the same time, we were allowing those that had the need to to pay less. Mm. People thought I was nuts. Mm. But anyways, I decided I would go for it. I'd open one of them. What's the risk? We'll try it. Where was the first one? Clayton, Missouri. Mm -hmm. Uh, Fascinating um, cafe, one of our original 15 stores, uh, two blocks from where I used to live when I was in St. Louis. And it was an eclectic neighborhood. You had the county jail across the street. You had people that were panhandling in front of the store. And you had million-dollar townhouses down the street. Mm-hmm. And it was an opera. You, you need both. You need mm-hmm. to support it. Mm-hmm. At any rate, decided to take a shot at it. Opened the first one. Um, I ran it for three weeks myself because I wanted to experience it. And here's the amazing thing: it actually worked. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, sixty percent of people left the suggested donation. Twenty mm-hmm. percent less. Twenty percent left a lot less. Mm-hmm. Um, we've since gone on to now open five of them. We opened our first, as I said, in, in, in Clayton, Missouri. Mm-hmm. Our second in Detroit. Our third in Portland, Oregon. Mm-hmm. Our fourth in Chicago, Tom. Is there a way for your customers or for people to contribute to Panera Cares? Yes, yes. You just go to www.paneracares.com mm-hmm. and you're able to contribute mm-hmm. right on the, the website. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Most recently, we've gotten, you know, and by the way, here's the interesting thing. We're going to serve a million people this year in these cafes mm-hmm. of, of shared responsibility. Mm-hmm. And the really interesting test, and it's a statement to the rest of the world, for all those folks that say that, most Americans really aren't good people, that they're going to game it, figure out how to take advantage of it. Mm. The proof in Panera Tiny Cares. Fraction. Well, there are people who try to mm. beat you, mm-hmm. but the truth of the matter is most people are fundamentally good. Coming up, more with Panera CEO Ron Shake. This is Motley Fool Money. Welcome back to Motley Fool Money. I'm Chris Hill. Motley Fool CEO Tom Gardner recently sat down with Ron Shake, the founder and CEO of Panera Bread. Here's more of their conversation. You're 60. I am. Which is surprising. I, well, actually, You're a very healthy Tom, 60. I, well, we, have, we share similar hairlines. Yes, yeah. we do. You know, right. we, were, we were basically 40 when we were 23. I, I don't know if I, that was the case for you, but people were like, when I was 25, they're like, how old are you? I'm like, 25. Wow, 25. But now that I'm 45, you know, that works a little to your advantage. I, I understand. You know? I understand so, um, But, I mean, do you, we love, we love our long-term CEOs at our yes. great businesses. Yes. Um, you know, I, when I sat with John Mackey and asked him, I was like, how long do we have you as CEO? Well, how so did he I, answer that? He said, you know, um, that it's his life's work and he's got his co-CEO relationship with Walter. Yes. And they, they, that allows him to more clearly express his capabilities and strengths and, and literally completely abandon the things that he doesn't have right. um, enough Isn't, talent to really right. add value to with the tens of thousands of people in the scale of the business. Sure. So what do you think? 60, 65, 70? You know, you know, we don't know, I guess. We don't know. We don't I, know. I yeah. think this. I've just recommitted to being CEO. Um, uh, I think that, there, that Panera's got a number of, 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 of younger executives that are, that are quite powerful in their own right. 
And I think that, that my interest is less in the title mm. and, and more in continuing to be able to, to feel like, A, um, I can make a difference for the constituencies of Panera mm. um, and that I can feel meaning in my own life and, mm. and we'll continue to work that through and figure out mm. the best way to approach it as we mm. have in the How past. How do you invest? Or, and, and what would you look for if you were investing in a restaurant chain? What are some of the factors that you think align around greatness? You said you love to find patterns. I, that's how I invest. Yeah. Um, well, I, I will tell you, I look, um, I look for, for how the management thinks and, and, and who they are. And um, I, I think we have become increasingly short-term in, 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 in so many of the ways we think about management. I think we have become increasingly short-term in the way we invest. And I think that when you do that, you take the bulk, uh, the majority of the really powerful things off the table. When, when I'm, I'm really thinking about this quarter, I'm really not building competitive advantage. Mm. And, and so my whole focus is in medium and long term. Mm. Um, my, 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 my own perspective is to invest in people mm-hmm. um, as opposed to, to, to um, the individual circumstances that exist. Um, uh, I'm not investing in information. I'm investing in... In, in, in capabilities and mm. where that business is going. Mm. Um, and and I, I will say to you this, um, for me, um, because I'm still so heavily invested in Panera, mm-hmm. it's a large part of my own mm-hmm. personal net worth. Um, and, and by the way, it's been the best performing part of my mm-hmm. entire mm-hmm. Um, uh, portfolio. Um, I've taken the rest of my money. I've I've, I've um, let it be professionally managed, mm-hmm. um, and it's managed um, basically uh, to ensure that uh, my family and future generations are able to mm-hmm. to have what they want. In life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And allows you to focus all Entirely the time professionally on Panera. On Panera. Yes. Well, you can see, Ron, why um, our mandate with the portfolio that I run is a minimum five-year hold. And I've said to our members, actually, I would love to make that a minimum 10-year hold. I don't want to scare anyone away right. to think that, you know, hey, if I'm not willing to hold for, you know, 120 months every investment I make. But what ends up happening is if you start to look at businesses differently and find what are the factors that align that really around the that, that company that comes public in 91 all the way through, one of them core one is the founder is the CEO. If you look at founder-run public companies, most founders have already made enough money by the time their company goes public to not be working for money anymore. So why are they there? It's not to say that there aren't some incompetent and occasionally fraudulent founder CEOs. And ego-driven. And ego-driven. But what you end up with are managing that asset as if it's their only asset for the next 100 years. That's a Buffett principle. Their passion, their greatest passion, their master, they they are mastering that field with passion. And by the nature, uh, a, a founder leader often has a longer time frame hmm. um, because they're thinking. Um, in, They've earned the right to think that way too. Yeah, in the and, 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 like and, Jeff Bezos. Oh, sure. And they're yeah. not thinking just simply what's going to maximize the next quarter. Right on, Ron Shake, Panera Bread. Thank you very much. Thank you, Tom. That's going to do it for this week's show. Before we wrap up, I want to mention an exciting opportunity we have for women in college or grad school, our brand new Women Investing Foolishly program. It's January 6th through the 8th. Classes taught by our analysts. We've got a lunch hosted by best-selling author Luann Lofton. And we're going to pay for your travel expenses. And so for all the details, you can go to the Motley Fool's company blog, which is culture.fool.com. That's culture.fool.com. That's going to do it for this week's show. We'll see you next week.